0: All right, take your Bibles. Here we go. We are in Mark, and uh, we are in chapter 13. And this begins kind of a new dialogue because uh, it's no longer just um, teachings or stuff. We're now coming. You can start to feel the funnel narrow, right, as we head towards Easter. You can sense it in the dialogue. And uh, the topic of the end of the world and the return of Jesus have fascinated mankind for a long time, right? Um, Countless books have been published about it. You've probably read one or two of them. Uh, The Internet and YouTube are ablaze with the topic. You can find uh, everything uh, on the whole spectrum uh, about about it. Thousands of sermons have been preached about it. And uh, every generation has thought that they were the last generation. Okay, So we aren't the first to think that this might be the time... uh, that has happened often. And yet we're still here. And thus the mockery and skepticism are rife, right? Uh, what Peter said, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as, as they were from the beginning of creation. Little rabbit trail footnote here. Notice that even in their mocking, uh, they can't escape the basic fact that there is a creation, right? So, so in that, there's this other side of the coin going, yeah, 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 whatever, you've been saying that for a long time, nothing's happened, you know, blow it out your nose kind of thing. That's sort of that attitude. Just this idea alone of, of the mockery and the creation, you could spend a whole sermon in and of itself. But back to the topic. Let's go back to the topic. Where are we in what has aptly been labeled the march of history? Right? Where are we? Where's our, our marker spot? And the truth is, we really don't know. But we have to be much closer to it than when Jesus gave us these thoughts that are located in Mark 13. Because it's been 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. So this morning, we're going to get to take a peek in a small way into this fascinating topic. But before we do that, let's pray, All right, And uh, we'll, we'll seek the Lord. Lord, I want to pray this morning. Specifically, this is kind of one of those exciting topics, but it also can have a backlash Lord, uh, those of us who are sensitive in spirit, that fear can creep in, and the enemy will come on the other side and salt it with fear, and that is not what's supposed to happen. Lord, so I want to pray for protection from a spirit of fear that the enemy might try to unleash on us. I want to pray for hope, and I want to pray, Lord, for faith, that you will help us understand, give us a mind to understand the era you put us in. And we seek you for that, and ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so grab your Bibles, turn to Mark 13. Um, Jesus has some warning and exhortations for those who find themselves in the last days. And it's to these that we'll look this morning. And it starts with a really, really intriguing object lesson. Here's here's how it starts. We're starting in verse 1. And it's talking about as they came out of the temple. Remember all the different things that had gone on in the temple? Last week we talked about the widow's mite. That occurred in the court of the women. So they're now coming out. They're actually coming out of the temple and they're heading across the Kidron Valley and going back to the Mount of Olives. And it says, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, that had to be an absolutely astonishing statement for the disciples. The temple? Thrown down, crushed, destroyed. What? I don't think so. That's impossible. Why Why would... they say that. Well, a picture may help us understand. This is no little hut that they are walking out of. Here's a depiction of the temple. All right. And if you can see there, it is massive. This is a picture of Herod's temple uh, that was built. Herod's temple was one of the greatest architectural wonders of the world. All right. People came just to see it. Not only was it impressive and beautiful. But it took 46 years to build this thing. So think about your life, and where you're in life. It took 46 years to build it so that it was actually a place where it was finished. It was also massive. Um, The historian Josephus Josephus tells us that the stones used for the retaining wall that were used to hold up the plaza on the southeast corner, so that's this corner that we're looking at right here. See, so if you are down at the bottom there looking up, you're looking up like 200 some feet. And the stones that were used to build that were 20 cubits long, 8 cubits high, and 12 cubits wide. Isn't that impressive? That really moved you, didn't it? Okay, so literally, if we put that into our measurements, they, one stone, just one stone in that wall was 30 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet thick. So if you want to put that in perspective, it's literally the length of the stage, the width of the stage, and go about halfway up to the screen. That's one stone, right? Massive. This, uh, today, uh, what's left is what's known if you go to Israel as the Wailing Wall. Okay? Everything above, there's just a few stones on the bottom, everything above has been destroyed and, and taken away. It's so torn down and destroyed to the point where they're not even sure exactly where the temple stood. There's so little left they can't quite figure it out. And that's been a topic of intrigue and uh, inquiry for a long time too. The disciples were both stunned and intrigued. Uh, we go back to the original four in the text. You've got Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Right? And those four come to Jesus and they kind of give him the question of the day. So here's the question of the day. And as they sat on the Mount of Olives, so they're overlooking back over the valley, looking back on Jerusalem, they can see the temple from there. As they sat opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus replies, And he says this, "...see to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will also lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines." These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The first thing to note here is that there will be many false Christs and imposters, and we've seen that across the tapestry of history. There have been many who have claimed and come. Uh, we have people, um, many of us would remember Jim Jones and the whole thing that took place, right? Uh, there's many like that. Many who will come, they will twist, they will warp the things that Jesus says and in the process lead many astray. That's certainly true in our day. Notice also the pattern of people, Wars and rumors of war, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes and famines. But notice this also. Those are called the beginning of birth pains. It's not the middle or the end. That's when the beginning starts. Translated... You can watch for these things and see them as they escalate and you can kind of have some idea of where you might be. But what you can look for is what we would call an amplifying effect. right? You know, for example, in an earthquake, every tenth it goes up, it's ten times more powerful, right, on the Richter scale. And so you watch for this amplifying effect of these, these patterns. And certainly we've had a run-up here in the last... Uh, five, ten years, just with all the stuff we've been facing as a country and the nations that we're contesting with. I think you can see that. Uh, But the idea here is more intense, more often, and on a greater scale than has been before. Jesus uses this to give them and us an exhortation. And here's the exhortation as we see those things happening. He says this, Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. We are actually living in the day and age when the gospel is being exported uh, in ways that has never been exported before because of technology and things that we're able to do today that the gospel is actually getting out uh, to the language groups that it has never gotten out to before. And they are thinking that it can actually happen within our lifetimes. Jesus goes on to say this. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the pressure, lean in. In the pressure, Lean in to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit what you should say. Listen, watch, think with the Lord, and ask the Lord to give you an appropriate way to say something about Jesus and His kingdom. Why do we have to be on our guard? Because Jesus continues and says, it'll be a treacherous time. It's going to be a dangerous time. It says, brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his children, and children arise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, rather than trying to explain this at men's retreat, I walk through uh, some of these passages, uh, some of the other scriptures uh, besides just these one in Mark. I just want to read through them this morning. I'm not going to explain them. I just want to tag them on to what I've already read to you. Listen to it. Think through with it as we go through it together and see what you come away with. This is found in Matthew. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness... That will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And I looked. This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Going back to Mark. And who will receive a hundredfold now and in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Oops, got the wrong one up there. Sorry. Let's go back. With persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Then we'll go to that one. Peter says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, I don't know how or what you felt as I read through those words pictures, but I know it sobers me. It jolts me. I'm like, whoa. And it points to something that we need to talk about this morning, and that is the need for courage. That we would be courageous people for Jesus. Particularly for us as men, it points to the need for us to be husbands and fathers that we be courageous husbands or fathers. What is the picture that we get from these verses? Everything has been condensed. It's pressurized. Uh, I use the illustration at men's retreat of Alaska up uh, fishing. If you've ever watched any of those uh, videos, uh, there's a main boat and then there's a little boat that they call a punt. And the punt takes off from the main boat and behind it, it's trailing the net, right? And it it just takes off and it goes out and you watch it and it trails and it goes all the way around in a big circle and then comes and it comes all the way back to the main ship. And at the moment, the fish don't think much of it because there's still a lot of place to swim and they bump into something, they turn and just start hitting the end of the way. But then once the punt gets back to the ship, that net is hooked up to a winch and the winch starts to turn and the net starts to be drawn in. And as the net gets drawn in tight, the water begins to boil. And the reason it boils is because the fish become desperate and they realize there's no way out and they begin to churn at the surface of the water because they're freaking out. Right? That's a picture of what it's like as the net gets closed and drawn in, in our culture. Everything is getting squeezed. The net begins to close in us. It's under this pressure that things begin to fragment. When we're talking about pressure, what kind of things uh, fragment? Well, let's look what the things that were listed in these verses. First, the word that was used was tribulation, tribulation. Uh, we would call it trials, all right? Trials or tribulations. Basically, these mean torture. This means being thrown in jail. This means beaten up. This means harassed. This means being um, yelled at and screamed at. That's basically what the word tribulation means. Very difficult times. It also says that we will be hated. Uh, There's a book called In the Garden of the Beast by um, uh, Eric Erickson. He's the same guy who wrote Boys in the Boat. In case you recognize that title, but uh, the the story of the book is about a U.S. ambassador named Dodd who was appointed by Roosevelt into pre-war Germany, pre-war pre World War II Germany. So he was there at about 1928, 1929, and stayed to like 31, 32, and then left. But the story is uh, the observations of this ambassador as he was over in Germany, and he tried to warn America what was happening over there, but nobody would listen to him. And if you read that book, it parallels the stuff that we see happening in our culture today. What happened to the Jews very possibly can happen to us. The other one that's going to happen is desertion. Nothing is more dispiriting or disheartening than you've got a bunch of people who are committed something and everybody peels off and walks away and you're left holding the bag. And under pressure, those whose commitment isn't solid, those whose commitment isn't tested, uh, will flake off. And it says that they will desert, that they will fall away, that they will walk away and just say, you know what, the price tag is too big. And we've seen that happen in our culture already. It's not popular to be a Christian in our culture. We are seen as the anti-group, the against group for everything. And so many have said, you know what, it's not that I'm against Jesus, I just don't want to face the pressure, so I'm just I'm stepping out. And we've seen that a lot. And the last one that's the most difficult one and the hardest one to wrap your head and heart around is betrayal. Basically, what that means is we get thrown under the bus. But not just thrown under the bus, but um, by people that we thought we could trust. People that we thought were on our side. People we thought were protecting us. And uh, we get... um, Caught because somebody else betrayed our information, uh, and we live in uh, a culture where stealing your identity is a huge issue. And this is going to be where somebody gives away our identity. They're a Christian. Go after them. And it says it's not by people that are the outsiders talks about brother turning over brother to death father against his children children putting parents to death it's talking about under that kind of pressure stuff gets very very um, visceral and people do whatever it takes to save their own skin and jesus saying you have got to be locked into me under that kind of pressure lastly brought to trial this means legally attacked, stripped of rights, stripped of finances, religious freedoms, all the things that we hold dear uh, will be taken from us. So obviously this hasn't happened yet here. Uh, there's been smatterings of it, but it has happened in other parts of the world. This pattern we're talking about. Uh, the ministry Voice of the Martyrs, I don't know if you know that ministry, absolutely fantastic ministry and group of people chronicles the courageous stands of believers around the world who have faced these kind of circumstances here's the point and i hope i'm wrong my hope is that there's one last great revival left in this country i've been saying that since 1984 okay but i really do i believe there's still a last great revival left in this country and my hope is that it will turn the tide back towards a hunger and a thirst for God. Where Jesus will be the topic of the day and His name in the Bible will be on everybody's lips and it will be the curiosity and everybody searching it out. That would just be absolutely fantastic. But if not, my firm estimation of events is that not only is there a net, but it's closing rapidly, if not already closed. And herein lies the challenge. Will we stand for Jesus or will we fold? And Scripture talks about something that we need to talk about this morning. And that's this the danger of being a coward. If you remember movies or watching the old westerns or anything, the worst villain in the film was always the person who was the coward, who needed to stand to protect the other people. When it came time to stand, they buckled or they folded. Uh, they used to be called yeller bellies. Remember that? Yeller belly. You're a yeller belly, right? And, and the idea was there is that you you are scum of scum because you have failed in the moment when you should have stood for something and protected something. And the danger of being a coward is listed out in Scripture in a lot of places. Let me give you a couple of them. Here's one Remember the not wanting to enter into the promised land? Why? There were giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. The, the problem looked enormously bigger than them. Does the, our problem today look enormously bigger than us? Uh, it does. In case you, you haven't, we're out-mediated, we're out-rhetoric, we're out-moneyed, we're out-politicked, we're out-legaled. We are outgunned on all of those fronts. But God held it against Israel that they did not have courage. Only two had courage. You remember their names? Caleb and Joshua. Funny, we remember. Do you remember the names of the other ten? Don't. Right? In the moment they looked smart, Joshua and Caleb looked dumb. History shows Joshua and Caleb were brilliant and the other ones were dumb. And so that's one illustration. How about the challenge of Goliath? Oh, we both jumped up here, okay? Challenge of Goliath. Who was supposed to fight Goliath? Who was head and shoulders taller than anyone in Israel? Who was the most handsome man? Who was the leader of Israel that should have fought Goliath? What was his name? Saul. Did Saul fight no, but what he tried to do is give David his armor so he could still claim the glory and the victory if David won. David said, I can't work. These don't fit, right? And so this little dude okay, went out and took on the giant because he said, who is this giant who defies the living God of Israel? David had great courage. He had learned courage before from fighting bears and lions that had attacked the flock. He had some experience. And uh, primarily today, uh, courage is not so much acquired as it's learned. Right? We'll talk about that in a second. But David and Goliath, And then Peter in the courtyard. Peter's giant didn't look so big. What was the size of Peter's giant? A servant girl. But what did she say? Ah, you are one of his. No, I'm not. I, didn't I see you? No, you didn't. Well, surely you are. You're a gal- No, I'm not. Right? The, the fear of being caught provoked Peter to call curses and swearings down his head that he did not know Jesus. And if you know that story, uh, it, it's a miracle that Peter didn't commit suicide out of that whole thing and that actually he got restored in ministry. Unbelievable story. How are we to respond to that? When it all boils down, what do you do? Here's, here's my stance, okay? If you take it down to the bottom line, what should our response be? This would be the best that I've worked it out to be. This is what I would say. I am a believer in and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the Bible's the Word of God. Those are my dog tags, okay? If I'm, if I'm pushed, pushed to shove... And I'm at the place where my back's against the wall and they're demanding something of me. I thought, what's, what's, what can I hold in my head that's memorable? What can I say that I can repeat that, is, that captures the whole thing in a nutshell and that I can land on that and it's honoring to the Lord? What would it be? And this is what I came up with. I am a believer in and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the Bible's the word of God. If you want to put me to death for that, be my guest. Okay? Be my guest. I will die for that. That's, that's where bottom is for me. If you're asking, where does the push come from? Where's the line? Where would I stand? This I will die for. Okay? Can you say that? We need to practice that. We need to think that together. The need for courage is uh, all through the Bible, but there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that really uh, says it well. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Uh, If you look at that same verse in uh, the NIV, it reads like this, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Be courageous. One of the things we often don't think about, uh, for example, just as they were talking about the witnessing class, one of the reasons we don't do it is because of fear. Right? And the Bible's telling us you can't live out of fear-based faith. It doesn't work. It has to be a courage-based faith. That gets you to step forward in faith, not retreat from faith in the things that you're called to or, or supposed to do. Jesus was telling His disciples, He was warning them, you're my gang, you're going to need courage. Just trust Me. I know what's coming. You're going to need courage. Uh, be on your guard and be prepared. Be ready. And I think by proxy, he's telling us that we're going to need courage as well. There's going to be (coughs) lots of room to try and wiggle in the middle middle for a while, but ultimately it will come down to do you say Jesus is the Christ or don't you? I've discovered, as I said, uh, through my lifetime, courage is more developed than acquired. It's... Little steps of faith and little steps of courage that you take that God sees you through on the other side that embolden you to take bigger steps of faith and bigger steps of courage for the Lord because you've actually seen Him come through in practice. If you never step, our courage is theoretical. This is what I think I will do under pressure. This is what I think I will do when I'm afraid. But it's not knowledge. I know what I've done in the past under pressure. I know what I've done when I'm afraid. And I can take the same kind of step in this kind of face of danger or fear as I took before because I saw God come through here. I have a track record. I know he'll come through here. And so the encouragement this morning as we go through, we're going to have several more messages on this. John Clements is going to be speaking the next two Sundays because I'm going to be uh, teaching for Adelphia School of Discipleship. Uh, out at Lake Retreat. <laughs> the topic is spiritual warfare. <laughs> yeah, great. And uh, and John will be covering the next two Sundays for me so that I'm freed up to do that. And uh, we'll be continuing in Mark 13 and then I'll take the last message off of that and we'll be working through this, this topic. But I want us to think about courage. Do you have courage to face the things that you're afraid of? I know I get scared. Do you get scared? Could we stand against that kind of pressure? I believe that we will be able to because God will give a greater grace during that time, but it should be a practice grace. One that we've tested the trail long before we ever get to that point. And that's why we need to exercise courage and we need to exercise faith. Let's pray this morning that God would give us a mind and a sense of timing for where we are in history. But let's also pray this morning that God gives us a courageous faith. All right, Will you join me in that? Father, I want to pray again. I know this kind of message uh, can create fear. You could tell by the silence in the room um, that we are thinking, wrestling, with the thoughts that you gave way back there uh, on the Mount of Olives as you guys were sitting there and looking back over the temple and you knew the things that were going to happen. And Lord, we live in a fearful era. Uh, Just the news headlines alone are enough to cause incredibly great fear. And Lord, we know it could get way worse. So number one, we pray we, we ask that You would bring a great revival on this land, that You would reverse this this terrible direction that we're headed in. We ask for the sake of millions of teenagers and children who don't even know anything about You, don't know anything about the Bible. We pray that You would light it up. We pray You'd light them up. That it would become the cop- topic and conversation of the day. But if not, Lord, we pray you train us to step courageously in faith that we would uh, hold true to you stay steadfast no matter the pressure and all of us pray that in your name Amen